You're listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. I'm Garrett Ashley Mullet, and I want to talk about everything. Yahweh spoke to Moses, saying, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the people of Israel. From each tribe of their fathers you shall send a man, every one a chief among them. So Moses sent them from the wilderness of Paran according to the command of Yahweh, all of them men who were heads of the people of Israel, and these were their names. From the tribe of Reuben, Shamwa, the son of Zakur, from the tribe of Simeon, Shaphat, the son of Hori, from the tribe of Judah, Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, from the tribe of Issachar, Egal, the son of Joseph, from the tribe of Ephraim, Hoshea, the son of Nun, from the tribe of Benjamin, Palti, the son of Rafu, from the tribe of Zebulun, Gadiel, the son of Sodi, from the tribe of Joseph, that is, from the tribe of Manasseh, Gadi, the son of Susi, from the tribe of Dan, Amiel, the son of Gamali, from the tribe of Asher, Sathur, the son of Michael, from the tribe of Naphtali, Nabi, the son of Vofsi, from the tribe of Gad, Gul, the son of Maki. These were the names of the men whom Moses sent to spy out the land, and Moses called Hoshea, the son of Nun, Joshua. Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan and said to them, Go up into the Negeb and go up into the hill country and see what the land is and whether the people who dwell in it are strong or weak, whether they are few or many, and whether the land that they dwell in is good or bad, and whether the cities that they dwell in are camps or strongholds, and whether the land is rich or poor, and whether there are trees in it or not. Be of good courage, and bring some of the fruit of the land. Now the time was the season of the first ripe grapes. So they went up and spied out the land from the wilderness of Zin to Rehob, near Lebohamath. They went up into the Negeb and came to Hebron. Ahiman, Shishai, and Talmai, the descendants of Anak, were there. Hebron was built seven years before Zoan in Egypt. And they came to the valley of Eskol and cut down from there a branch with a single cluster of grapes and they carried it on a pole between two of them. They also brought some pomegranates and figs. That place was called the Valley of Eshkol because of the cluster that the people of Israel cut down from there. At the end of forty days, they returned from spying out the land, and they came to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They brought back word to them and to all the congregation, and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told him, We came to the land to which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. However, the people who dwell in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the Negeb, the Hittites, the Jebusites and the Amorites dwell in the hill country, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea, 
and along the Jordan. But Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. Then the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we are. So they brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land that they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone to spy it out is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people that we saw in it are of great height. And there we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, who come from the Nephilim. And we seemed to ourselves like grasshoppers, and so we seemed to them. Hang on, hang on tight. Welcome back to the Garrett Ashley Mullet Show. This is, of course, Garrett Ashley Mullet coming to you from Greeley, Colorado for episode 629 of this podcast. Today is Tuesday, May 30th, 2023. We're almost to June. That's pretty astounding. That was Numbers chapter 13 for you, verses 1 through 33, which is all the verses in Numbers chapter 13. And this is one of the stories from the Old Testament that has really stuck with me over the years. I think about this often, especially with blogging, especially with podcasting, especially with talking so much about how the American church should be engaging with politics in the civil sphere, cultural questions more broadly, differently in my view, in my conviction, from my reading of current events, history, philosophy, (laughs) economics, and of course, the Bible. And actually, first and foremost, the Bible. See, if I start from the biblical text and then I read these other subjects, which is how it happened, my dad made a point to read the Bible at length to my brother and I growing up. I was involved in Awanas and did verse memorization all through childhood at various Awana programs throughout the country. So I memorized quite a lot of scripture when I was a kid. I read through the Bible cover to cover in high school. And I keep on reading. I keep on coming back to the text. And I keep on juxtaposing, which is to say, holding up side by side God's word and what I'm reading in the news and what I'm reading in people's opinions and commentary and what I'm hearing in the church. I keep holding these things up side by side. And when I got into blogging back in, what was it, 2015, 2016, It was actually right about this time in the year, in uh, 2015, come to think of it. We took several months, two of my cousins and I, after Obergefell v. Hodges was decided by the Supreme Court of the United States. When we got into blogging initially, it was on the conviction that there needs to be a good report. So here in the story of the spies sent into Canaan. We have the assertion that the 10 who said, 
no, we cannot take this land. That their conclusion being that was a bad report. And you could say, well, how is that a bad report? That's just an honest report, right? That's just their honest assessment. They were told to go and spy and they they brought back what they saw, right? They, they told what they saw. How could it be a bad report? It's just an honest report. Well, no, no. It's honestly bad. <laughs> it could be honest and also wrong. It can be sincere. It can be genuine. It can be absolutely 100% authentically what these 10 spies think and also be bad. It could be that their thoughts are bad because their hearts are corrupt, because they're unbelieving, because they're stubborn, and because they have a rejection that is stubborn, more to the point, a rejection of the evidence that they have seen before their very eyes that they are tasting daily if they're living on manna and then quail subsequently. It's a stubborn unbelief, despite God having performed signs and wonders delivering them out of Egypt. It's a stubborn unbelief as they go into this new situation. It's as though they have forgotten all of that. It's as though they have wanted to forget all of that. It's as though they put all of those events that they have lived through to this point with God bringing them out of Egypt, bringing their whole people, their whole tribe, their whole nation out of Egypt. They've put all of that into a framework which does not allow them to come to the conclusion that God means what he says and God will do what he says he will do. And if he promises to give this land to the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, if he promised to make of their descendants a great nation, a great people, his people, his possession, he will do it if he has promised to put that nation, that people, that possession of his into this land and to drive out these nations from before them. He will do it. They have put all of that into a framework which cannot come to the right conclusion, which is however big these giants are, However strong their cities are, however fortified their towns are, it's no match for God. But you might say, (laughs) well, wasn't it God who sent these 12? Or wasn't it God who spoke to Moses in verse 1? Wasn't it God who said in verse 2, send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the people of Israel? Wasn't that God's plan that these men should be sent? And so how can they be faulted for being sent and for bringing back a honest report? And I say they can be faulted because their job was not to come back and say, we can't take this land or this land is too strong for us. And that's it. Because what's missing from that report, even in their giving their rationale, It's all about how big and strong the inhabitants of the land of Canaan are compared to Israel. There's no mention whatsoever of God. None whatsoever. But as with the previous passage, we should understand the implicit beef, the implicit dispute is the relevance of God's promise, the relevance of God's command, the relevance of God's goodness, his faithfulness, his might, his power, his authority, that is actually 
what is being disputed here, even just by omission. You know, it's interesting. I was listening to Andrew Clavin's program night before last. I actually got really good sleep last night, but the night before I slept just a little over two hours. That was all I slept for the night. And it was it was a long day yesterday. I'll put it that way. It was a long, long day because we had the privilege of going and helping a family. It was a blessing for us to give me and my four older boys, Josiah, Eli, Saul, Dan. We went and helped a family from church to move from their house out in the country where they've been for eight years to the other side of Greeley from us. But that would have been physically exhausting any day, even if I had gotten a beautiful night's sleep the night before, especially working on two hours and some change. I was just beat. I was beat. I was so tired. Nevertheless, while I was not sleeping night before last, I watched the latest episode of Andrew Clavin's program over at the Daily Wire. And I like Andrew Clavin. I don't agree with him on a number of things. I don't like the way that he, uh, I would say, gives some cover to homosexuals. I, I would say he does. And I understand that he has a personal stake, a personal reason for wanting to do so because his son is openly a homosexual. But one thing that really struck me in Andrew Clavin talking through our current political situation, the current political climate as an older man with years and perhaps more of a tempered reaction is that Andrew Clavin looks at what's going on and let's say, you know, just the 2024 presidential campaign, for instance, he looks at the back and forth between DeSantis and Trump and the various Democrats. And he says, you know, it's okay for us to withhold judgment. Let's let this play out. Let's be patient. Let's accept that there is some tension. Let's accept that there's some drama here. We like drama when it's fictional and we can turn it off and on as we please. We typically don't like drama when it's real life and we have no absolute control over it like with the remote control and the TV or the computer and the mouse and you hit pause and just stop and check out whenever you want to. And you know you can, even if you don't, you know you can seize control at any moment. We should just accept and embrace that this is going to play out and that this is just part of it. This is part of life. (laughs) But I think about that and then I look at the spies sent into Canaan. And what is it in the 10 versus the 2 that causes a bad report to be generated about the land versus a good report? You can say, hey, here are these fruits of the land. Look, they're great. And it's interesting to me that there's a poll that these guys are carrying this cluster of grapes back on to show the people, indeed, this is a good land after a fashion, but it swallows up its inhabitants. That's what you don't know. So is there a kind of double-mindedness to them bringing back this cluster of grapes? Or maybe this is Joshua and Caleb. There's a poll, and this poll is carried by two men. So this is a heavy cluster of grapes. Maybe it's Joshua and Caleb who decided to grab the fruits and provide something of an object lesson. 
see. This is what the land produces that we just spied, that we just scoped out, we just scouted per Yahweh's command. And by the way, too, let's note that these are not just random guys, random guys chosen in a lottery or from the casting of lots. These are leaders of the people. So that is to say, too, that the trouble that's been had to this point is potentially, at least in part, due to these being the representative leaders of each of the tribes of Israel. These guys set the example, or by turn, they are swayed by the people in the response to various circumstances, you know, changes of fortune, uh, you know, various uh, reversals or surprises. These guys are either swayed or they're leading by a bad example prior to their bringing back a bad report from the land. They have already, I'm sure, sidelined a proper understanding of what God has done to deliver his people out of Egypt, to provide for them and lead them in the wilderness, to protect them, to feed them. They've already sidelined the proper understanding to this point. And so it wouldn't be shocking if these 12 being sent in is to serve as an illustration, as an object lesson. Let's draw this out. This is already going on before we know about it. What's in these guys' hearts is already at play. It's already at work and influencing the spiritual condition of the people and these men in particular. Their own hearts are guiding them prior to us knowing about it, but God knows. In the previous chapter, we talked about Miriam and Aaron grumbling privately, as it seems, against Moses because he had married a Cushite woman. And what does God do? God doesn't sweep the whole incident with Miriam and Aaron under the rug. He doesn't hide that as if it would be really embarrassing to God if this were to come out. How would that look? No, no. Actually, God, it would appear to me in my reading of Numbers 12, draws attention to it. He puts a spotlight on the whole situation by summoning Moses and Aaron and Miriam to the tent of meeting and straightening this out, like a father, by the way. So when Jesus talks about God as our father in heaven, his father, our father is how we're supposed to address him in our prayers, as Jesus teaches us. When we see that in the New Testament, here is a very fatherly situation in Numbers chapter 12. And God spotlights it and makes Miriam something of an object lesson. All of a sudden, she's a leper and she's outside the camp for seven days. And God even says when Moses asks and pleads for mercy and to forgive, please, please, God, forgive her and heal her. God's response is, if her father had spit in her face, which is to say, I think, if she had greatly displeased her human father, there would be a cool down period. Let's say she had done something very shameful or she had brought dishonor on the whole family, the whole clan. She had humiliated him by her conduct. Maybe she was being scandalous and who knows, right? If that had been the case, there would be a timeout 
as it were, to the relationship, well, so also, no less, God is identifying himself as father in this situation. And there is a timeout for Miriam. And all of the rest of the people of Israel need to see that. And I think a similar thing is happening here in Numbers chapter 13. Rather than sweeping it under the rug, that you have 10 in 12 leaders of the tribes of Israel harboring this unbelief, God is going to draw attention to it. Send the spies in. Let them check it out. Let them come back and bring their report. And so they do. But you have two out of the 12 saying, no, this is a good land and we can take it and we should go up right now and take it. They're eager. What are we waiting for? Which is to say that these two, Joshua and Caleb, they have been putting the events to this point in the proper framework, and they understand that God is the one who is delivering this land. And if he's done all that he's done to this point, of course he can give us this land he's promised to give us. How would that be too hard for him? In the next chapter, which we'll go through in our next episode, you'll see how this plays out on the macro. And this really comes to a head, and it is actually a political crisis of a sort. And God is sovereign over the whole situation. He is turning hearts, and he is drawing out poison as if from a wound. But suffice to say for the time being, one important lesson from this is that it's really not about whether the majority delivers a good report or a bad report. Don't go in with the majority just because there's more of them. Right is right. Wrong is wrong. Be on God's side. As Abraham Lincoln said, I know I've been quoting this quite often here lately, our goal should be to agree with God because God is always right. Don't go with the majority. Go with God. Agree with God. You won't be put to shame. But let's get into some current events items, starting with a report by Joel Abbott over at Not the Bee about two pro-life sidewalk counselors brutally attacked outside a Planned Parenthood facility in Baltimore. I'm not going to play any audio clips here, but what I will do is encourage you, if you have the stomach for it, if you need to see it, if you need to have it proven to you what this fight is, that it's not just rhetorical, check out the link in the description for this podcast episode, and you will see a gray-haired, older man whose face is badly swollen and bloody because he was viciously attacked trying to encourage young women going into this Planned Parenthood facility to not murder their children. Here's the quote, two pro-lifers in Baltimore, Maryland, were viciously attacked outside an abortion facility on Friday, leaving one man in hospital with a fractured bone in his face, according to local activists. According to an email by local pro-life activist John Roswell, on Saturday there was a violent, unprovoked attack outside of a Planned Parenthood on North Howard Street in Baltimore that left two pro-life men, Dick Schaefer and Mark Crosby, assaulted and seriously injured. Photographs of the aftermath of the event obtained by LifeSite News show Crosby with what appears to be severe facial injuries. 
There are also photos at the scene of the attack where you can see blood on the bricks of the sidewalk. Quote, outlining the attack, Roswell's email states that the assailant had initially asked one of the Planned Parenthood escorts, referred to by Roswell as death escorts, to hold his drink before lunging at Schaefer, who, quote, believes his back was turned at that time to the assailant, end quote. Quote, Mark, who was in the street, tried to go to Dick's aid and was hit in the face, knocking him on the ground, and the man then kicked him in the head, end quote. Roswell added in the email. According to Roswell, it was then that a client from nearby pro-life pregnancy center options at 328 Baltimore screamed, prompting a nurse from that facility to come to the aid of the men. A little bit of backstory here. The pregnancy center opened right next door to the Planned Parenthood a few years ago. I wonder how long the Planned Parenthood staff would have let these two men bleed out before getting help. Like I said, how can you doubt which side God Almighty is on when we have literal visual metaphors like this abortion clinic and pregnancy center right next door to each other? Schaefer is recovering at home, but Crosby is currently being treated at the University of Maryland shock trauma facility. Crosby suffered a fractured plate bone in his right cheek and will have to have his eye orbit replaced with metal. There is no word if their assailant has been arrested. These stories always Remind me of Deuteronomy 30.15, Joel Abbott writes, See, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. Now here again, can I just point out that the 12 spies sent into Canaan should not be waved off with some rhetorical jujitsu about how America is not Israel, And we need to understand the difference between the two covenants or between the old covenant with Israel and the new covenant with the bride of Christ, the church. The point I'm trying to make anyways, the conclusion that I'm trying to draw from the 12 spies in Numbers chapter 13 does not need you to have a certain view of being born into the covenant or seeing America as the new Israel. It doesn't need any of that. Proverbs 14.34 is sufficient. Righteousness exalts a nation. Sin is a reproach to any people. And what is this? What is this? Sin is a reproach to any people. This is sin, and it's institutionalized. And for 50 years, it has been regarded as sacred to the left, and it's part of the larger eugenics program. Ironically, the same folks who claim they are for all of these minority communities are also putting Planned Parenthood facilities in these minority communities, trying to encourage these minorities to abort their own children, at least the ones who are not going to be obedient, well-behaved, statistically successful Abort those ones because apparently they know, right? They know that poor kids are going to grow up not to amount to anything. Or if their parents don't want them or aren't sure if they want them, it would be better for them to not be a burden on society when they get older. That's how the reasoning goes. It's wicked. It's wicked, especially when you realize how much money 
is made on the bodies of these unborn children after they're aborted? How much money is made from these frightened mothers in many cases, or these deceived mothers in many cases, or these very cold-hearted and selfish mothers and very wicked mothers in other cases who know exactly what it is that they're choosing and they don't care. There's no fear of God before their eyes. This is sin. Planned Parenthood needs to be destroyed. No ifs, ands, or buts. It needs to be destroyed, outlawed. Abortion should be criminalized coast to coast in all our states and jurisdictions. These murderers need to be arrested, tried, convicted for the crime of murder in cold blood of innocence. But even just taking the peaceful approach, standing out on the street, trying to encourage frightened mothers, confused mothers, deceived mothers, those who would be rescued from the delusion of the left, these men standing out there trying to do what's right, trying to do it peacefully, viciously, brutally attacked for it. The story at Not The Bee says it was a totally unprovoked attack, but the left would say it was absolutely provoked because how dare you question a woman's right to choose? How dare you suggest that what we're doing is wrong? It's the same mentality that the men of Sodom had. We'll do worse to you than we would have done to your guests. How dare you? Who do you think you are? How dare you judge us? Here's another piece from Not the Bee. And God bless Not the Bee. They don't bat a thousand, <laughs> to be sure. I think there's room for improvement, but God bless Not the Bee for bringing, bringing these stories to light, bringing these stories to our attention. Harris Rigby over at Not the Bee published a piece just this morning. Planned Parenthood posted this graphic over the weekend and said, it's, quote, all the same fight, end quote. I'm glad they could so helpfully define evil incarnate for us. Here's the tweet from Planned Parenthood Action. PPACT is the Twitter handle. It's not just about abortion. Advocating for abortion goes hand in hand with advocating for gender-affirming care and birth control. Access to health care is a right no matter what. But this isn't health care. It's just the opposite. You're not promoting good health. You are killing and mutilating and maiming. You're not promoting health. The only sense in which you could even possibly view what Planned Parenthood is promoting with gender-affirming care, birth control, and abortion is racial hygiene. And that's how they started. So that's par for the course. Of course, of course, of course. That's what they mean by health care. They're thinking health care on the macro, on the level of the species, and eliminating the germplasm of society. Oh, right, 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 right. Gender-affirming care. Yeah, these kids, they don't know what they want to be. So let's just render them inoperable when it comes to being able to reproduce. The sooner the better. Birth control. Anybody who's not sure they want to have any kids probably shouldn't. Margaret Sanger, in George Grant's biography of hers. George Grant is another one. God bless the unsung hero for his biography of Margaret Sanger, the founder of Planned Parenthood. Before that, the Birth Control League. She was far more 
influential than many of us realize. Not just when it came to abortion was she active. She was also a big-time proponent of what turned into the sexual revolution and actually the LGBTQ plus the alphabet soup movement. She was a big-time proponent. Her poor husband, she married this guy and then proceeded to have some children with him and then proceeded to publicly and privately and very loudly and long argue that having children was this big-time burden and oppressive. And so women needed to be liberated to be just like men. Men can have sex with whoever they want to without any consequences. Women should have the same right to have sex with whoever they want to without any consequences. It's not fair. It's not just that women get pregnant when they fool around. And they can have children by several men. And then all of a sudden they're surprised that all these various men that they've had children by aren't going to commit and aren't going to provide for those children, aren't going to support them. I mean, the bitter irony is that her husband continued to help support her. And then the men, the intellectuals, the academics, the eugenicists that she palled around with, they were very happy to spread the cancerous ideas that she was sharing with them to support her. She got tons of support. What was she talking about? Well, I think what she was really getting at was a very similar thing to the 10 spies who said, we can't take this land. There's no fear of God in their report. It's a bad report because they don't take into account at all God providing or what God's purpose is here, what God's will is here. This is very similar, I would say, to the grumbling against Moses in Numbers chapter 12 and why God takes it so seriously in the formative stages is because otherwise you get these little rebellions that bubble up and turn into mass murder and mass casualty. You remove the cancer when it's very, very small, and then it doesn't metastasize and infect the whole body and kill the whole body. Actually, too, I think this is part of what Jesus is getting at in the Sermon on the Mount when he says it's better to remove one of your members that causes you to sin than for your whole body to be cast into hell. This is not just an individual physical body that's being spoken of. It's a corporate body in some sense. If you have a particular member who is leading the whole body into sin and folly and rebellion against God, it's better to remove that one part of the body. Paul definitely makes that comparison in Corinthians. He says the bride of Christ, the church, is a body, and we all are members of the body, parts of the body, an eye, a hand, etc. It's not for no reason that Planned Parenthood is arguing for, advocating for, promoting all these things together at the same time. Their view of ideal human health is godless. In fact, it's satanic. So also, it's not for no reason that Christians are consistently on all these things pushing back, but let's do make sure we've got the chronology correct. And let's do make sure that we're not saying, well, that's your opinion versus their opinion and who can know? No, no. If God has spoken on these things, that's what it is. The 10 versus the two in the spies coming back from Canaan. You don't say, well, 10 of them 
gave their honest opinion. Let's go with the majority decision here. No, no, it's a bad report because they didn't factor in at all what God had said he was going to do. They didn't factor in at all what God had commanded. They didn't factor in at all that their rejection of this plan is at root unbelief, stubborn refusal to obey, to submit, to subject themselves, to humble themselves before the Lord. In other news, Jessica Seaman over at the Denver Post published a piece May 26th last week. Denver School Board should set district-wide policy on armed police on campuses, says latest DPS safety plan draft. Superintendent Marrero released his school safety recommendations Friday. Now let's pause to reflect before I read anything else, any of the quotes, any of the stats, any of the, well, so-and-so thinks this, and some people say that, any of the characterizations, any of the skewing or spinning, understand the implicit recognition and admission that there's enough of an appetite, there's enough of an interest in having armed police on public school campuses that the Denver School Board is taking a long, hard look at it, which is to say there's a recognition generally that the schools are not a safe place for kids, which is to say you should go out and buy a copy of my book, and this is why we homeschool. (laughs) You should... At least you should request that your local public library order a copy and stock it and then check it out when it comes in. If you don't want to buy it, if your money is pretty tight right now, I mean, it's not very expensive. You can get the e-reader version or the paperback version. We're talking the price of a cup of coffee, folks. This is why we homeschool. This is one of the things I explain in my book. The public schools are not an environment conducive for character formation, or cultivating the life of the mind. It's hard to do your studies when you're constantly watching out for somebody to bring a knife or a gun into school and stab or shoot up the place or bomb the place. It's really hard to focus on your studies when kids are getting into fights, beating each other up, sexually harassing one another, tearing each other down, bullying each other. Get your kids out. And then you don't have to wait for a decision from the centralized authority, from the educrats on the school board. You don't have to wait for the Department of Education, which is just ridiculous. We don't need a Department of Education, especially when they're delivering year over year, decade after decade for the past century, the results that they are. We don't need a Department of Education. We need moms and dads engaged, actually. Let's go back to not the B, though. Let's... Take a look at another report from Joel Abbott, May 29th. Rolling Stone tries to paint Ron DeSantis as evil for, quote, bringing the axe down on furries, end quote. Makes huge campaign contribution instead. (laughs) Uh, what, What you have to understand is this furries thing is, as Joel Abbott reports, a... really weird and sexually deviant fascination for many people. Maybe not all, maybe not most, but some contingent is not safe for children to be around. 
And as it turns out, there was this furries convention in Florida that basically had to release a statement saying kids are not allowed at our convention because of the law from DeSantis and Republicans in the state of Florida. So you have this furries convention looking at the law that was passed, which is being called anti-LGBTQ, but really has to do with not grooming and molesting and raping children, which up until recently, that was a consensus that those things are wrong, wrong to do. And it doesn't matter if somebody has a white lab coat on when they do it, it's wrong. It doesn't matter if somebody has a teacher's license when they do it, it's wrong. It doesn't matter if somebody is in an official position of authority. In fact, what was the whole Harvey Weinstein thing about? Except you had somebody who was in a position of power who enjoyed very much dominating and bullying and pressuring these aspiring young actresses in exchange for his giving them roles in movies that he was producing. He was abusing his authority. And what came out in the trial? What was one of the arguments for the defense? Everybody was doing this. The casting couch is an open secret in Hollywood. We all know that this is part of it. It's been a part of it for a long, long time. In fact, if you go back and you look at the history of Hollywood, in the first place, it had to do with movie makers wanting to skirt, no pun intended, anti-obscenity laws, anti-pornography laws. And so they went out to California where the whole gold rush mentality gave them a freer hand to do whatever they wanted to do to make whatever kinds of movies and pictures they wanted to make so they could make their nudie pics, so they could make pornography. That's how Hollywood started. And so, yeah, from the get-go, it was this perverse thing. But you have Harvey Weinstein being, for some reason, the final straw right about the same time that Trump is running. Curious that that Black Lives Matter and the Me Too movement were launched in earnest and became very much household names right around the time of Trump running for president. I think Harvey Weinstein was supposed to be a human sacrifice to justify a larger campaign going after cleaning house with Republicans and conservatives as well. If we get this guy out of here, then we can also go after Trump and we can prevent him from being president. It didn't quite work. But Harvey Weinstein and his defense attorneys actually made the argument that everybody was doing this. 
It was a well-known thing. It was a well-kept tradition, a poorly kept secret that these powerful corporate types, these powerful men making the decisions for casting would solicit favors from these women. Well, now what do we find in the case of legislation in Republican states, Republican-governed states like Florida? What do we find? The argument is that you shouldn't criticize or scrutinize Disney because whatever they're doing somehow is okay just because we're entertained by their movies. Apply that same thinking to Harvey Weinstein and what do you get? Well, what you get is his being able to do what he did for as long as he did. The people over Harvey Weinstein knew he had a reputation in Hollywood. Oh yeah, he does this. That's that's Harvey. Watch out. But the people over him, because he was being successful, because he was making money, they just turned the other way. They turned a blind eye to it. If a furries convention is filled with grown men and women dressed up as cutesy animals, and, oh, by the way, Rolling Stone admits nearly 80% of furries self-identify as LGBTQ. If the organizers of this convention of furries felt pressured to bar children from the convention because of the legislation in the state of Florida, that's telling. Basically, what that communicates to me is that children have not been safe, and go figure, who should have been surprised, but children have not been safe at these conventions, and the organizers don't want to be criminally liable, and so they're just going to say, no kids. Well, that should have been a duh. That should have been a given, and yet the complaint from the corporate media that doesn't like Republicans, doesn't like conservatives, doesn't like DeSantis, does like Planned Parenthood and agrees with Planned Parenthood. That's all the same fight. They would rather provide cover to pedophiles and child molesters and sexual deviants than give any credit whatsoever for doing the right thing to DeSantis. And I, for one, will draw your attention right back to Numbers chapter 13. If you read 12 newspapers and 10 of them are condemning the recent legislation in Florida and two of them are praising it, don't you dare go assuming that the legislation is bad because 10 newspapers were critical and only two gave it a fair shake. Don't do that. Joel Abbott concludes his report saying, most people interested in dressing up like animals are also the ones with deviant sexual behaviors. Interesting. Shocking, right? Shocking. Who could have guessed? Lastly, here's a quote from the Rolling Stone article, as highlighted by 
Joel Abbott. Many furries do not view their interest in anthropomorphized creatures as sexual at all. (laughs) You know, that is to say that most do. Most do view their interest in furries as sexual. Most do. So this is a convention of sexual deviants who have only just decided that children are not allowed. Children are not welcome. Got it. Meanwhile, let's check in on Disney. Disney, according to a tweet from Jason Jones, Disney has a man in a dress working in the dress store for little girls at Disneyland. This is who Disney wants girls to see when they first walk in to pick out a dress. This is the Bibbidi Bobbidi Boutique Disneyland 2023. I will play the audio for this one. Here's cut one. Take a listen for yourself. So my name's Nick. I'm one of Fairy Godmother's apprentices. I'm here to shop you around and make all your selections for the day. No, thank you. No, thank you. When Trump here recently has been taking shots at DeSantis from the left, he's running left of DeSantis, apparently. He's been taking shots at DeSantis for looking into what can be done about Disney's grooming of American children and children around the world, let's be honest. When DeSantis is getting attacked by Trump because thousands of Disney employees have been laid off, and then I see a clip like this, I say, keep it up, Ron DeSantis. Shame on you, Mr. President. President Trump, not a good look. These kids are being molested, and they're being groomed, and it would be better that a millstone be tied around a man's neck and he be cast into the depths of the sea than that he would cause one of these little ones who believe in Jesus to stumble or to sin. Temptations to sin will come, but woe to the one through whom they come, whose heart is just continually devising more and more ingenious, clever ways to tempt others to sin, to join in the rebellion against the authority of the Most High God. Woe to Disney. Kudos to Ron DeSantis. Shame on Trump. In other news, more lawlessness, three Marines beaten and stomped after confronting 30 to 40 teenagers for being unruly at a California beach. Carlos Garcia reports for TheBlaze.com. Three self-identified U.S. Marines were beaten up and stomped on by a crowd of teenagers after the group was confronted for being unruly on a California beach, police said. Videos from the Friday incident at the San Clemente Pier Bowl area appeared on social media and showed a large group of teenagers assaulting the Marines. Hunter Antonino, one of the victims attacked, told KCAL-TV that the group of teenagers were acting belligerent and firing off firecrackers at the beach. He said that he asked them to stop, and that's when he was hit in the head with debris and the altercation began. Video from social media showed one teenager throwing a punch from behind one of the victims and starting the melee. Two of the victims ended up in the fetal position on the ground while the teens viciously punched and kicked at them. Eventually, two other adults broke up the crowd and ended the attack. There is a video here. I'm not going to play it for you. Just not. But suffice to say, this is why we homeschool. And this is why it's not enough, actually. Even if Denver schools decide, yes, we are going to have armed 
police in the public schools. It's not enough. It's not enough. We need to come to Jesus moment as a country. Parents need to come to Jesus moment. And they need to be turned back to being the primary caregivers of their children. The progressive model of schooling was always going to produce this as a result. We are getting closer and closer to Weimar Republic, Nazi Germany effects. Cheap grace is what has been peddled from the church in far too many cases. Grace, grace, it doesn't matter what you choose. All paths lead to God's pleasure, just as long as you're intentional about it. That's all God really cares about. Judge not, remember? Judge not. Next thing you know, you've got 30 to 40 teenagers kicking and punching three Marines for saying, hey, guys, that's enough. Stop. What are these kids not used to hearing, apparently? Stop. That's enough. What is it that was said of John the Baptist through the prophet? He will turn the hearts of the fathers back to their children. Fathers are needed in these young men's lives, and they haven't been there. And you can thank people like Margaret Sanger. You can thank organizations like Planned Parenthood and, yes, the American public education system for so many fathers not being involved. You can thank figures like Lyndon Baines Johnson. You can thank programs like the Great Society. You can thank the welfare state for incentivizing the breakdown of the nuclear family. You can thank Disney increasingly for rolling out portrayal after portrayal of liberation for the child, self-actualization for the child, as no parents tell me what to do. I have to follow my heart. I do whatever I want. I be whoever I want to be. The villain is whoever tells me, no, no, you can't. No, you don't. No, you won't. Not here. Not now. Not like that. Put that down. Come over here. And this is why we homeschool. Daniel Chaitin reports for the Daily Wire. Lululiman, I think I'm saying that right. Lululiman employees fired after confronting thieves, reports. Two women say they were fired by Lululiman after trying to stop thieves ransacking an Atlanta area store and calling police to report the robbery last month. The former employees, Rachel Rogers and Jennifer Ferguson, said they were told they violated athleisure company's zero tolerance policy upon being let go in the weeks that followed the incident, according to local NBC affiliate 11 Alive. Quote, we are not supposed to get in the way. You kind of clear path for whatever they're going to do, end quote, Ferguson said. Quote, and then after it's over, you scan a QR code, and that's that. We've been told not to put it in any notes because that might scare other people. We're not supposed to call the police. Not really supposed to talk about it, end quote. Video of the robbery recorded by Rogers shows a group of individuals wearing jackets, hoods, and masks dart out of the shop in Peachtree Corners, Georgia, with clothes in hand as the employees demand they leave. Insider reported, that Lululemon's company policy indicates the pair were fired because they confronted and recorded the thieves, not because they called the police to report the robbery. Quote, the safety and security of our employees and guests is always Lululemon's top priority, and we have policies and protocols in place to uphold a safe environment. End quote. According to a Lululemon spokesperson who spoke to Fox Business, quote, we take thefts and vandalism very seriously, and our focus right now is supporting our educators as well as continuing to collaborate with local partners and law enforcement. End quote. Now, Let's just take a step back. The first institution mentioned 
as being supported by Lululemon is the educators. Forgive me, but maybe you should start by supporting the parents. Just a thought. Just a thought. Maybe the parents need to be the educators again, as was the case for all of our history up until about 100 years ago. Parents were seen as the primary caregivers of their children. Even if the parents hired somebody else and sent their kids off to a school or had them tutored by somebody who would come into their home, the parents were the primary caregivers, not the bureaucratic state, not the Department of Education, not the public education system, not compulsory government schooling. Lululemon objects to these employees confronting these lawless shoplifters. Get that. Because these employees were telling these shoplifters no and then filmed them, the employees were fired. And the line about the safety and security of our employees and guests is always their top priority. Bull. Uh-uh. No. Now, this is woke, ESG, investing, and corporatism 101. That's all this is. This is part of the larger, broader cowardice, lack of moral integrity, which conservatives need to be pushing back against, opposing, correcting every chance we get. To quote the two fired employees, Rogers says, that was my sole income. So I did have to file for unemployment and use all of my savings to pay for my car payments, car insurance payments, my dog's food, my food, end quote. Ferguson, the other employee, said, and I quote, they put us in a bit of a bind. Ferguson notes that she has four children, quote, my husband is self-employed, so we're trying to figure out insurance, end quote. So again, again, you have the prioritization of looters and shoplifters over and against two faithful witnesses. Two faithful employees who did the right thing. They documented it. They confronted these lawless shoplifters and they were fired for it because of fear that this would be frowned on. Word would get out. This wouldn't look good with our preordained, presupposed framework for interpreting everything which is not of God, it's not biblical, it's not in keeping with Western civilization, it's not Judeo-Christian, it's Marxist, it's satanic, it's communistic. So they're going to work with educators, right? Lululemon, they're going to work with educators and they'll fire faithful employees who did the right thing, even when one of those two employees has four kids and her family's insurance was this job with Lululemon. Let that sink in. (laughs) This is evil. This is wrong. This is unjust. This is wicked. Shame on Lululemon. Back to not to be, Holly Ash reports, BLM co-founder Patrice Kalours quietly axed by Warner Brothers after failing to produce any of the content she promised. Here's a story from the New York Post. You can check it out. A quote, though, for the time being, the Post can reveal no shows were produced under the deal, despite Kalors saying she planned dramas, comedies, documentary series, and animated programming for children. Quote, the studio signed an overall deal with BLM co-founder Patrice Kalors at some point in May 2020. End quote. 
said a source familiar with the studio's contract negotiations Friday. Quote, deal expired at end of October 2022. The deal, unfortunately, did not result in any produced shows, end quote. Interesting that Warner Brothers would quietly, secretly let go of Patrice Colors. Why not loudly? Why is it not as big of a deal as the Lululemon employees being fired? I'll tell you, very simply, because it's not about having actually delivered what was expected of them. It's not about right and wrong. It's not about true and false. It's not about justice. It's a shakedown. So Patrice Colors being announced very publicly as somebody that Warner Brothers was going to work with to produce content helped Warner Brothers to perpetrate a certain image. They were trying to score points. They were trying to flatter and curry favor with the mow-mowing, the flat catchers crowd. They were trying to appeal to the radical chic. Check out Tom Wolfe's book. Actually, it's two books, but you can find them on Audible packaged together, Radical Chic and Mau Mauing the Flat Catchers. That's what this is. In both cases, Lululemon and Warner Brothers. Back again to the Daily Wire. Hank Berrien, May 29th. Another company needing Bud Lighting. Coles ripped for infant LGBT merchandise. And this is really unfortunate because I was thinking maybe we can go to Coles if Coles isn't making the headlines like Target has been. Maybe if we've got a kid that needs to have some new clothes or I need some new clothes, maybe I just go to Kohl's instead of Target. They're in the same shopping center here in Greeley. But here is a couple of pictures from a Twitter account, at Endwokeness. Kohl's is pushing LGBTQ pride for literal babies. That's a picture of a onesie and a diverse cast of characters of all shapes and sizes and ages holding a pride flag. The whole display is rainbowified for pride month. I see love is love. Here's a whole family. And by family, I mean two dads and three kids that are clearly adopted wearing t-shirts, matching t-shirts that say be proud and rainbow lettering. So maybe Kohl's is not a good option either. Target wasn't a good option. Kohl's doesn't seem to be either. Probably what we'll see, if I could just make a prediction, I think we're going to see more and more corporations coming out of the closet, I don't think that they're going to reverse course. I think they're going to double down in hopes that those who are boycotting Target will say at the end of it, well, there is nowhere else to go. I, I think that's what will happen. I do. But again, this is not a question of where do the majority line up? And that, therefore, is what's right. Understand that this might be 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, which is what comes next in the story. Not to give anything away. Spoiler alert. The people of Israel side with the 10 instead of the two. And that will probably happen in our case too, barring some intervention by God, which we should pray for. And we should earnestly pursue and work for. We should be 
Joshua and Caleb in this story, even if America is going to wander in the desert for 40 years. Even if America is going to listen to the 10 spies who deliver the bad report instead of the two who are faithful witnesses. Another piece by Hank Berrien, May 29th, Sinister, Nefarious, and Dangerous Federal Government Watchdog Slammed for Memo Urging Woke Language. A leaked October 2022 memo from the Government Accountability Office, GAO, which examines government spending and is considered the supreme audit institution of the federal government of the United States, was obtained by the Daily Mail and reveals the GAO barring employees from using terms for male and female. The memo was posted on the GAO intranet. Quote, because meaning and connotations can change rapidly, we should not rely solely on precedent, GAO or otherwise, but should consider consulting early in an engagement with individuals and groups who are within scope of the work. End quote. The four-page memo states, offering common alternatives to gendered terms, such as artificial instead of man-made, crude as opposed to manned, and workforce as opposed to manpower. Now, what was I saying? What, what was I saying here a few episodes back about what I think the goal is with the promotion of drag queens, the promotion of Dylan Mulvaney, the encouragement, especially to highlight biological males, men and boys who are dressing as women. What did I say? You know, there's a lot of folks who are taking the angle that this is the erasure of women. I think this is the erasure of men, more to the point. I think this is designed to humiliate and emasculate men in our culture. Let's put a dude in a dress and let's use the dude in a dress as a way of humiliating and destroying any man's ability to provide for his family, protect his family. The dude in a dress with the makeup and the hormone therapy He's the one who's going to be highlighted as the most powerful. We're going to promote the homosexual and the transgendered person. I think the big idea is actually to try and get the 99% out of 100 who are products of the Prussian model of compulsory government schooling to go back to being obedient slaves. I think that's the larger driving push here. And besides that, you've got going away from terms that include man. So it's the erasure of men. It's the emasculation of men because men will historically be the ones that would put a stop to this unless you can find a way to demoralize them, to humiliate them, to neutralize them, break them up before they can coalesce, organize, gather their thoughts and speak out and do anything about it and the very, very wealthy, powerful men at the very, very top then won't have any threats to their current situation, their status quo, which is very favorable. It's been very rewarding thus far. Let's head over to the Epoch Times and take a look at a piece by Jack Phillips. Trump warns U.S. in peril in Memorial Day message. Former President Trump wished a happy Memorial Day to Americans, but warned that the United States is in great peril due to individuals, he said, are working from within the government to destroy the country. Trump said via his social media platform, Truth Social, that the country, quote, has never been in greater peril than it is right now, end quote, and called on supporters to help him, quote, 
stop the communists, Marxists, and fascist pigs at every turn and make America great again, end quote. Several weeks ago, Trump issued a similar message when he wished a, quote, happy Easter to weak and pathetic rhinos, end quote. Quote, happy Easter to all, including those that dream endlessly of destroying our country because they are incapable of dreaming about anything else, end quote. By contrast, you've got Ron DeSantis also putting out a Memorial Day message praising the U.S. as a, quote, great country built on great values, end quote, but pointing out that the Constitution doesn't run on autopilot. He added, quote, and so today is a day to reflect on those that made the ultimate sacrifice, because if you don't have people that are willing to do that, then you really can't have a free society, end quote. This is important to highlight as we have just gone through several examples of corporate wokeness. We need to understand that communism is a real thing. Karl Marx and Frederick Engels were real people who worked tirelessly to develop not just a political theory and not just an economic theory, but an all-of-life approach that was a complete rejection of and contradiction of what God's word tells us his purposes are, his will is, his commands are. The communists here should be likened to the inhabitants of Canaan. And if you think that you can mix in some communist ideas with your Christian political theory, I would draw your attention to Richard Wormbrand, who basically said in his book, Karl Marx and the Satanic Roots of Communism, you could just as soon be a Christian and a Satanist as be a Christian and a communist or a Christian and a Marxist. These are two mutually contradictory, mutually exclusive things. They do not mix. They are fundamentally opposed to each other. And it's not Christians who are the sticks in the mud who are against something that preceded them, it's the communists who are virulently opposed to Christianity and the influence of Christianity on the family, on the community, on the economy, on the government, civil. It's the communists who are wanting to take control of everything and redistribute to everybody, but some especially, some more than others. It's the communists who want to take children away from parents and have them raised by the state. It's the communists who want to take all of your life savings and redistribute it to looters and rioters. It's the communists who are content to hire a trained Marxist in Patrice Calore's to produce content, and when she doesn't produce anything, they just quietly let her go and let her out. From each according to his ability, to each according to his need. And the fine print is surplus production, surplus population. Those were Marx and Engels' cute little terms for people and things that they regarded as unnecessary. 
as in we have too many. And what do you do with surplus people? What do you do with overpopulation? Which, by the way, this is not a biblical term at all. Overpopulation is not a thing, according to God. His dominion mandate was, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Is the earth full yet? No. Then we're not overpopulated. We'll know when we're overpopulated. But the Marxist wants to say, there's this thing called overpopulation. And there is this thing called surplus population, surplus labor, surplus production. And how has the communist corrected this problem where they have found it in Russia and China and other places? They start eliminating the surplus population. And how do they decide who's surplus? Who is the over and overpopulation? Well, they figure out who is for communism and who's opposed to it. And so if you're not for it, but you haven't really spoken against it just yet, know that it will be required of you. You will be required to actively support it more and more loudly and to not say a single untoward thing about it, not to say a single critical thing against it. You will be required to. If we keep on letting the communists have these levers of power, they will use everything that they can get their hands on to destroy their political opponents, to destroy their cultural opponents, to destroy their religious opponents. Because Marxism is a religion to these people. See, we miss the boat when we think of it only in political terms or exclusively in political terms or primarily in political terms. We miss the boat when we think of it only in economic terms. And what do we make in the way of arguments? We say, well, communism hasn't worked any place it's been tried. Look at the poverty. Look at the oppression. And you say, that to a actual Marxist for whom this is their religion And all they hear is, you just care about money. You just care about your own privileges. You need to check your privilege. And what they mean is, we need to redistribute your privileges. We need to redistribute your wealth. You're so concerned about your wealth, you need to care more about people. That's why the Lululemon employees were just fired. That's why the dude in the dress is the first person, these little girls at Disneyland, see when they go dress shopping. It's a redistribution of wealth and power. And if you object to it, well, then you are surplus population. You are overpopulation. I'm inclined to agree with Trump. I have, I think, fair criticism of his actions His way of relating to Ron DeSantis, for instance, I think is shameful, hubristic, self-serving, harmful, corrosive, toxic. But that said, he's right on this. He's right on many things, actually. For for that matter, 
he will be my vote in all probability if he is the nominee, because the alternative is communism. That's what the left wants. That's why they're all on the same page, because the party brooks no criticism. That's true in China. That was true in Russia under the Soviets. Certainly true in Russia under Putin, who thinks the greatest tragedy in the 21st century was the collapse of the Soviet Union. That's why they're all on the same page. That's not the kind of unity we want. That's not something to emulate or to admire or to be jealous of, conservatives. But we need... We, we need to know what we're about. We need to know what our principles are and what our goal is. And it can't just be we're opposed to communistic tinkering with the economy. You have to understand that the way in which they are seizing the economy is through wokeness, woke initiatives on race and gender in particular, on sexuality. And the next one is for the children. It's the child's human right, they'll say, and they are already saying in public schools, and this is another reason why we homeschool, they are saying that it's a child's human right to be a sexual being, and therefore, you're the oppressor if you're telling children no, or if you're telling adults and children No. If you're telling a furries convention, you can't have kids showing up to your deviant sexual conference. Rolling Stone magazine will portray the perverts and the creeps as the victims here. But the flip side is, once we have elevated the people who are excited by thinking of themselves and one another as animals, once we've elevated those folks to the place of hero and we have vilified the people trying to protect children, it's a hop, skip, and a jump to now everybody, official state policy, everybody will be treated like animals. And then it's a hop, skip, and a jump to we round up the people we regard now as overpopulation. We take their kids away. We put them in re-education camps. We put them in labor camps. We put them in gulags. Just like they did in Russia. What we're seeing right now is very Maoist. These 30, 40 young people on a beach in California beating up three Marines who wanted to say no is exactly the kind of thing that the Maoists used in China. I'm looking at a map of China right now. All these various peoples of China, all of this diversity, all of this rich history and tradition, and it was no match for the cruelty, the cold-blooded efficiency of the Marxist perspective which as soon as you've embraced it and accepted it, you can dehumanize anybody who gets in the way and you just call them surplus population, surplus production. 
They're getting in the way. The greater good has to be served by destroying these people. Or if it's a conservative who's just a touch moderate, you know, playing the long game, you might say, we'll beat them next time. We'll get them tomorrow. I don't want to get involved. I don't want to get mixed up in this. That can't work. That doesn't work. It didn't work in China. It didn't work in Russia. By the time there was a collective realization, what had been chosen, because we went with the perception that 10 spies are delivering this report, and that's what it is. By the time we realized how bad it was, the majority that had been saying, oh, it's no big deal, it's no big deal, it's fine, it's fine, don't be a conspiracy theorist, in recent years said, well, now it's too late to do anything about it. Which is to say, they are actually themselves corrupt too. And when this takes expression in the church in the form of cheap grace, you have a complete rejection and ignoring and sidelining of everything in the Old Testament law with regards to testifying and not going in with the many to pervert justice, not being partial either to the poor man or the rich man. We have a complete sidelining of all of that in favor of grace, grace, when there is no grace, actually, because there's no repentance, because there's no confession of sin and turning away from it and bearing fruit in keeping with repentance. Many will say, Lord, Lord, on the last day. And Jesus will say, depart from me. I never knew you, you workers of lawlessness, which is to say, the alternative would be if your righteousness exalts a nation, righteousness is not lawlessness. In fact, they're opposites. Lawlessness is sin. Sin is lawlessness. If righteousness exalts a nation, then you have to come to the conclusion that a nation must be ruled by laws. Those laws must reflect God's law and be an expression and uh, working out of God's law in our context. You can't escape that. And the folks who want to say, no, no, peace, peace. We want peace. We want to be winsome. Peace, peace. When there is no peace, they're blind guides and hypocrites. Brandon Dre over at The Daily Wire, May 29th. That is yesterday. House oversight Democrats defend FBI ahead of alleged Biden bribery scheme document subpoena. So here's what's in view. House Oversight Committee Chairman James Comer, Republican from Kentucky, sent a letter to FBI Director Christopher Wray last week giving more specific terms for the FBI to locate and submit a particular form demanded in a subpoena with a deadline that passed two weeks ago. So essentially, the FBI is stonewalling and ignoring. Either they can't find it because it's been destroyed or they don't want to find it because it would reveal that they've been complicit in a cover-up and running interference for the Democrats and being weaponized against Republicans and conservatives in this country for quite some time. Thanks, Obama. Here's a quote from Jamie Raskin, oversight Democrat ranking member from Maryland. It just sounds preposterous to me that you will hold the FBI director in contempt over a tip sheet that they think someone submitted to the FBI. Comer is making a mountain out of something that is not even a molehill. Yeah, but see, it it actually is a mountain. 
it's a mountain if, in fact, the president of the United States of America took $5 million in bribes. Bribes are not something God is silent on. Bribes are not up for debate. Bribes pervert justice. Bribes blind the eyes and corrupt the speech of even the righteous. Bribes are designed to get unjust outcomes, to corrupt the core function of government and the governing authority that God gives to men, according to Paul in Romans 13, to reward those who do good, to punish those who do evil. Bribes always come down at the end of the day to preventing a governing authority from either rewarding those who do good because they're your competitor. I'm going to give you a little bit of money and you're going to not reward this person's good behavior because they're my enemy, because they're getting in my way. I'm going to grease the skids a little bit. You're going to help me cut them down to size. They're expecting a reward. You're not going to give it to them. And that'll show them. That'll give me an edge. And then I go in and clean their clock. Or when it's not that, bribes are designed to get the governing authority to not punish those who do evil, which is the other function of government, according to Paul. Governing authority is there in the hands of the civil magistrate from God so that the civil magistrate will reward those who do good and punish those who do evil. A bribe given to prevent the punishment of evil when it is scaled up to an international level is a mountain of a problem for the Democrats and for the president of the United States. If he is guilty of this, if he in fact has accepted bribes, which there's ample evidence for, if the FBI ran interference for him and covered it up, that is a mountain. That is a mountain of a problem for the United States of America and for the world. The leading and sole superpower for decades is headed up by a corrupt politician. That's a mountain of a problem. He took millions of dollars from who? What are their political interests? What are their ambitions? What are we not stopping them from doing as a result of that money having been given? What evil are we not punishing as a result of that bribe being given? Or what good are we not rewarding is the other side of it. If this affected domestic policy so as to make America vulnerable to threats foreign and domestic, that is a mountain of a problem. If it affected foreign policy to where we abandoned our allies or we actually gave aid and comfort and assistance to our enemies because of that bribe. That's a major problem. That is a mountain. That is a question of basic fidelity to the oath of office, or on the other hand, treason. That's a mountain of a problem. Not no big deal. Not no big deal. If the Democrats on the oversight committee don't regard this as a mountain of a problem, if they don't even think it's a molehill, then I suppose Watergate was not even an anthill. Back to the Epoch Times. Lily Zhu and Lee Hall write, Matt Ridley, I'm shocked by how little the world wants to investigate COVID-19 origin. So this is Epoch Health Premium, a report from the UK. Speaking to NTD's British Thought Leaders BTL program, Ridley said the hunt for the origin of COVID-19 is a, quote, really interesting example of how citizen science, 
stepped in when professional scientists, journalists, and spies haven't done a very good job of investigating this at all, end quote. More than three years have passed since COVID-19, the disease caused by SARS-CoV-2, became a global pandemic, but the exact origin of the virus still remains a mystery. One of the theories is that the virus may have escaped from a laboratory in Wuhan. The theory once readily dismissed as a conspiracy has gained traction in recent months after FBI Director Christopher Wray said the Bureau believes it's the most likely scenario. The U.S. Department of Energy reportedly came to the same conclusion, while other U.S. government agencies either remain undecided or support for the theory that the virus came from animal hosts. Riley is one of the earlier proponents of the lab leak theory. In 2021, he co-authored the book Viral, The Search for the Origin of COVID-19 with Canadian molecular biologist Alina Chan and called for a proper investigation into all theories, including the lab origin. So I draw this out in the context of the larger conversation we're having because I know that there are people who despite this now being more openly admitted, people no longer being removed from social media or positions of authority, if they dared to suggest that this came from the Wuhan Institute of Virology lab, level four bio lab in Wuhan, China, despite it now being openly admitted that this is the best theory, this is the most likely explanation, There are still a lot of people who will continue to listen to the 10 spies over and against the two. And they'll say, well, these 10 newspapers, these 10 TV news channels, these 10 mainstream politicians or celebrities or PR spokespeople for the settled science say such and such. And only these two, these two wackadoodles, these two conspiracy theories are suggesting something else. Let's take the lessons learned from COVID and let's transpose those lessons learned onto the business about Hunter Biden's laptop and the New York Post story that was censored on Twitter, that was dismissed as conspiracy theory and Russian misinformation, disinformation, malinformation. Let's take all the lessons learned through COVID and let's transpose them onto questions of election integrity in 2020. Let's take them and let's transpose them onto legitimate and enduring questions of the safety and efficacy and principle inherent to American public schools. Let's take all the lessons learned and let's apply them to our understanding of woke corporate activism. Let's take these lessons learned and let's apply them to the kind of material that mainstream corporate evangelical media has been promoting for years. And then let's put all this together and let's recognize that it fits what we learn about human nature relative God's commands and his promises and his character in Numbers 13. It fits perfectly the profile that is presented to us of our situation relative God and his promises, and enemies, threats, opportunities, risks, rewards. We've been getting a lot of bad reports, plain and simple. A lot of bad reports from the 10 spies in our context. A lot of bad reports that 
all this justice on biblical terms, on God's terms, yeah, it might be exceedingly good. Yes, I realize that's a really heavy cluster of grapes that you've brought back, carried on a pole by two men. Yes, I understand the land is flowing with milk and honey. Yes, yes, yes. But not for us. Not for us, it isn't. There are giants, and they're too strong for us. There are giants, and we're like grasshoppers to them. So we seemed to them, and we seemed to ourselves like grasshoppers, blind guides, the blind leading the blind. Why are they blind? Because they've shut their eyes to what's going on, because they have claimed they want to be innocent and they want to be blameless, when what they really want is to be ignorant. And they've put all of these things into a framework which is very easily understandable if you're willing to do something about it. And if you're not willing to do something about it, well, then you wouldn't want to worry your pretty little head about it. You wouldn't want to understand it, actually, because then you'd feel bad. You would feel bad for not doing anything, which you're committed to doing nothing. Righteousness exalts a nation. Righteousness, we know from the totality of Scripture, not Old Covenant only, not Israel only, New Covenant as well, New Testament as well, God's people, the church as well, we know that righteousness is obedience, born of faith. James says faith without works is dead. And that's what Bonhoeffer was so concerned about in Germany. You might say, oh, he was a prophet. And that's what Eric Metaxas calls him after a fashion in his excellent, excellent biography of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. That's one of the things that you could call Bonhoeffer as a prophet. He was prophetic. But you don't have to be <laughs> endowed with some supernatural ability. You have God's word that would testify to who God is, and who we are, and what our problem is, and what the solution is. And if the solution is systematically being ruled out, truncated, suppressed, silenced, marginalized, vilified, maligned, swept under the rug, and the problem is being presented as no big deal, no problem at all, peace, peace. You don't have to be a genius. You don't have to be <laughs> a clairvoyant to know what the result will be. All you have to do is believe God, believe his word, believe that it testifies truly to how he's related to his people, how his people have related to other peoples, how the spiritual forces of darkness have operated in the world relative to God's people, and how God has triumphed over them. What we should expect, unless there is repentance in this nation, we should expect destruction and devastation and conquest and death. In a word, death. And only a remnant coming through. By God's grace, maybe unsinged, but we will suffer. You, you won't avoid it. You won't avoid it. Righteousness has to do with what you do that God tells you to do and what you don't do that God tells you to not do. Righteousness exalts a nation. Sin is a reproach to any people, and God will not be mocked. A man reaps what he sows, so does a nation. We're filling up this cup of wrath. If we don't want our sins to be counted against us, we have to repent. For our last story this episode, and then I got to run, Jared Sichel writes a piece at the Daily Wire, which is subscriber only, and I'm not going to read this for you. It's an opinion piece. It is one more reason why I'm glad I have a subscription to the Daily Wire. But he writes here about how a recent trip to Japan 
caused him to realize that he's not proud of a certain something as an American. And he says this in the second paragraph of his piece. I felt that the United States in critical areas is not only not a world leader, but it's not even a model anymore. It's not even a model anymore. How sad is that? Yesterday was Memorial Day. Memorial Day is the day where we remember and honor those who have given their lives for their country, in service of their country, to protect their country from foreign enemies who would plunder and steal and enslave our people. I have a poster, an old World War II piece of propaganda, which isn't a bad thing. It was propagating an idea, which was important to the fighting spirit of America in World War II. But this poster features colonial soldiers on the left facing American GIs headed off to fight in World War II as they're marching. And the colonial soldiers are standing there, sober-faced, clothes in tatter, because they fought this long, hard campaign for independence from a tyrannical British monarchy that was being lawless, actually, which is why Edmund Burke, the father of political conservatism as a theory, as a philosophy, supported the American colonials in parliament. But the claim, the promise, the assurance at the bottom of the poster is Americans will always fight for liberty. And that's not for sure. That's not, that's not for sure. That's a hope that is a dream, but you don't automate that. You can't just set it and forget it. You can't just leave it to its own devices. What happens when Americans are taught that liberty is actually lawlessness? If they want to prove that they're really free, they eat that forbidden fruit. They stand back as gray-haired pro-life activists are violently assaulted. You say you're for liberty. You're only for liberty for this young girl to go and murder her child. You're not for the liberty of the men who regard this as murder and the shedding of innocent blood, whose consciences won't rest, won't allow them to rest if they don't try to stop it peacefully. You're not for their liberty. You're for liberty, but not for these children to be free from sexual harassment. You're for liberty, but you're not for the liberty of employees of some woke corporation to video lawless behavior in a store that they work at. You're for the liberty of the looters. You're for liberty, but you're not for liberty when it's conservatives. You're for liberty when it's the woke. You're for liberty for the social justice warriors in the church, for the public school apologists in the church. You're for liberty when it's the liberty to vote Democrat, despite the lawlessness of the Democrat Party. You're for liberty when it's people declining to testify when they know material facts important to either the carriage or miscarriage of justice in a criminal case or a civil case. You're for liberty when it comes to what people do in the privacy of their own homes, but then also to now it's what they put on onesies in a Kohl's department store. You're for liberty for communists, which is to say, if that's your idea of liberty, then the promise of this poster was a false promise. Americans won't always fight for liberty because that's not actually liberty. 
Jesus is the great liberator. Jesus is the only one who can set us free indeed. Who the Son sets free is free indeed. Every other promise of liberty, particularly where it holds up the laws of God as oppressive or unjust, at root is not at odds with me as a conservative or as a Christian or as a so-called cisgender male. Every view of liberty that would call oppressive and restrictive and tyrannical the laws of God leads to death. What you will be liberated from ultimately is life and your property and your peace of mind and your peace with God, most importantly. What does Jesus say? Seek ye first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. That is not a repudiation of being concerned about your retirement funds or your children's education or what shows up on the TV when the commercials play. It's not a repudiation of being concerned about tax rates or regulations or allegations of bribes being offered and received from foreign adversaries or a corrupt bureaucracy that is highly partisan that runs interference for leftists. Rather, it's an order of operations. You seek first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness, and you'll know what to do. You'll testify like the two spies who brought back a good report. And the good report was not, there are no giants. Hey, good news, guys. These 10 guys are lying to you about the giants thing. That wasn't the good report. The good report was, it doesn't matter if there are giants in the land. What matters is that God has promised good to those who serve him, to those who are his people. That's what matters. Now, you'll say, ah, but Garrett, this promised land you're talking about, what is its analogous equivalent in America? I should hope it would be clear. I am not saying that America is Israel, that the United States of America is the land of Canaan. The South Africans got into that problem, and we don't want that. But God is God. That's my point. My point is not that we are Israel. My point is that God is still God. If Jesus will say on the last day, depart from me, you workers of lawlessness, you workers of iniquity, to some who say, Lord, Lord, the big idea is we do not want to be those who are told, depart from me. We want to be those who are told, well done, good and faithful servant, which is to say we have to be serving, which is to say the Great Commission is not just make converts. It's not all authority has been given to Jesus in heaven and on earth, so therefore go and make converts, or therefore go and repackage Bible stories with talking vegetables. That's not the Great Commission. The Great Commission is make disciples, teaching them to observe all that Christ commanded. He commanded as one with authority, because all authority rightfully belongs to him. What got Christians in the first century, second century, third century, AD, and actually on down to the present, in so much trouble politically, socially, culturally, is that they insisted Jesus is Lord. If the mantra for the state religion is Caesar is Lord, the Christian says Jesus is Lord and lives like it and acts like it and serves accordingly. And here's the happy part. Whatever the rest of society does, whether justice is carried or miscarried out, God sees the ways of the righteous and blesses them 
and protects them and provides for them. And oh, while we're at it, while we're talking about the 12 spies in Numbers 13, another spoiler alert, it's the two spies who brought the good report who were able to see that promised land, who God brought through 40 years in the wilderness to see the promised land. We want to be like those two spies. We want to be the equivalent, but that's all the time I've got for this episode. I got to run. As always, thank you for listening. Until next time, God bless. You've been listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. For more content like what you just heard, subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. Also check out thegarrettashleymulletshow.com to subscribe to email alerts when new episodes are published. As always, you can reach me with any comments, questions, complaints, objections, or insights at garrettashleymullet at protonmail.com. Thank you.